Hey everyone, this is Steve. You know, for four and a half years, the Orchard Church has been a portable church. That means we have set up and torn down everything that we own on Sundays, every single Sunday since we began in April of 2009. And on this particular Sunday morning, I discuss the opportunity for us to finally make the move from portable to permanent. It could be a great move for us enhancing the scope of our ministry and making much, much more of a mark in our community for the gospel. If you want to know more details about it, you can go to our webpage at orchardlj.com or you can look on my blog site at stevedusek.com. There you can find out all the details about what's going on with this move and you can even fill out an online pledge card or you can even give toward making a difference in our community for the sake of the gospel. I hope you'll listen and I hope you'll join us as we make this move from portable to permanent. I uh, am doing something, like I mentioned earlier, differently today than I am used to doing. Four and a half years, uh, I've been the pastor here at the Orchard Church, and uh, I've never stepped in front of you without uh, feeling like I'm led in a particular direction on a particular sermon. Uh, I've always had a sermon ready, and today I do not have a sermon uh, ready to go for you because I just wanted to speak from my heart. I will tell you that on Friday... um, I, I finished, put the finishing touches on the sermon for today and uh, had been working on it during the week and been thinking through it, praying about it, researching, reading, and, and working up all my little fill-ins that we all like around here and everything. Uh, and then Friday afternoon just really felt like I needed to take this in a different direction. I really, uh, I called up our board members, John and Ryan, and we talked about it over the phone. And uh, we just really wanted to throw that out because I want to ask you a question today. I, I really want to ask you to think about this for a second. Why? Why do you get up in the morning on Sunday mornings? Why do you get dressed up in whatever way you dress up? Why do you get your family in the car? And why do you make sure that you arrive at church on Sunday by or near the time that church starts? Why? Why do you do that? What's the reason that that every week you come here or you go to church wherever you might go. Why do you, you don't, you don't make any money doing that, right? I mean, I, and you could be sleeping in on Sunday. You could be at home relaxing and chilling. You know, a lot of people regard it as their rest day. Why, why do you get up and come here on Sunday morning? I can tell you why I do it and why I've been doing it for a long time. Uh, my reason is because I grew up in church. I was raised in it. I grew up in a little, uh, for a long time, little red brick and steeple, small little church out in the country, you know, and uh, I was just kind of raised in it. It was what we did growing up. I never knew any different. I didn't know anybody that didn't go to church. That's what we always did. And so because I was raised in church, because I was there every time the doors were open, because I was just always part of what was going on, you know, I was raised knowing the language. I was raised knowing the culture. I, I was raised knowing all the Sunday school answers, right? So, so I just heard all the stories and, and I knew all the stuff. And I just, I, I was really, really good at being able to, you know, blend in to the church thing. You know, I, I really had that all down. 
I, I don't know if you were like me, if you had the experience that I did, but I, from little bitty, I don't remember a time I was ever not in church, but I grew up in, in church, and, and from little bitty, we always would go to Sunday school, and we'd go to big church, you know, and, and I would uh, be called on by the teacher every now and then, and, uh, you know, to answer the question, whatever the question was, and if you know anything about Sunday school, there's always one answer to the question, and it's Jesus, so you're pretty safe saying Jesus, no matter what she just asked. You may not know, you may not have been paying attention Jesus, okay, good job. You're paying attention, you know. And I just kind of had that all down. I just kind of knew what that was all about. But here's the thing for me it wasn't until high school, it wasn't until I was a high schooler that I was radically confronted with the fact that no matter how well I knew the answers, no matter how many times I came to church, No matter how good of a person I thought I was, no matter what it is, no matter if I had the perfect attendance pin or the certificate of whatever, and no matter what it was, no matter who I was related to, no matter, that that even with all that, I was still a hopeless and helpless sinner. That just by my very existence, I was an offense against a holy God. So I, I was confronted with the fact that I was a sinner, that, that there was nothing I could do, that I was born into sin, and that no matter how good I was, I still sinned against a holy God. The Bible says that all, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God because God's perfect. And I wasn't. Because God's holy and I wasn't. And that my sin, the crimes that I had committed, even at the young high school age that I was, my sin uh, had put me under the death penalty. And there was nothing I could do about that. There was nothing I could do to earn my way out of that. I had already been judged and, and, and deemed worthy only of being on death row. And I was waiting for my punishment. But that... That holy God who must punish sin because he is just. He also loved me so much that he was not going to allow me to have to endure my own punishment. And so God so loved Steve that he sent his only son. And Jesus, who walked this earth for 33 years, he he never committed a sin. He was never under the death penalty. He never did anything that displeased his father because the holiness of God dwelled inside of him. And so he had no sin of his own to pay for. And so God did this incredible thing that just, that just hit me between the eyes when I was in high school that I never got. I had all the answers, but I never fully understood this, that Jesus went to the cross because God had a plan to let Jesus go to that cross and to take all of the sins that I had committed and place them on Jesus. God the Father was willing, because he loved me, he was willing to blame his own son for everything I had ever done wrong. He blamed his son and he punished his own son for what I had done. So Jesus takes the blame, he takes the hit, he takes the punishment for me, and he dies in my place. 
And three days later, he rose again. And now he lives in me. The Bible says that when I come into him, when when, when I come to know Jesus, that I am a new creature, that all of my old passes away and his life is being lived through me. This thing completely altered everything about me. It means that I died to myself and now I'm alive in Christ. And so this radically changed me. I, I began to have a relationship with him. I began to look at everything different. I began to interpret everything through the lens of the gospel of Jesus. It, it changed me and it changed everything about me. And I did not only come to know Christ, but I gave my life over to ministry at that young age as a high schooler. And, you know, I continued to blend in at church. I continued on in that whole church thing, but I was doing it for a different reason, right? I mean, I was learning and growing in a walk in a relationship with God through Jesus. So it was very different for me. And I was chasing uh, the opportunity to be in ministry. So I, you know, I went to school and all that kind of stuff, but through all that, going to school and, and, and through the experiences that I had, I, I you know, I, I was in going towards ministry, but I didn't always have a ministry job. I, I began to, to have jobs outside. I worked at UPS for a while. I worked for a civil engineering firm for a long time, you know, working my way through school and stuff like that. And, and I worked with a lot of people who didn't blend with the church thing, Right. I mean, I had already understood all the church thing, right? But these people that I worked with, they, they weren't part of the church thing. And, and here's what's funny is, is that I would, I, I, would, I would go to church and I would find myself dressing a certain way, you know, in ways that I never dressed the rest of the week. I found myself speaking in terminology that I never spoke with the rest using cliches that I never would use with my friends at work. You know, uh, I found myself treating other people in ways that I would never do with, you know, people outside of the whole church thing. Right. And as I began to, to build relationships with people inside the church and outside the church, I learned that I had to handle each of them very differently. And I learned that people outside the whole church thing, they didn't get the whole church thing. They didn't understand it at all. I I had become an expert at blending into the church thing, at singing the songs, saying the words, dressing appropriately, you know, knowing the the Christian handshake where you smile and cock your head just right and say, bless you, my brother, right? I mean, I had that all down just right. But you don't do that when you're not in the whole church thing. And if you do that, when you're not in the whole church thing, people think you're weird. They think you're some kind of freak. They don't understand that stuff. They don't get why we talk that way. They don't understand the cliches that we use. They don't know why we feel like we've got to dress the way we dress. This was back in the 80s, right? So all the, all, of, all the good televangelist people, we all had our hair slicked back and everything like that, right? You know, so we had that going on. They didn't understand that neither. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they just, they didn't get, and they sure didn't understand our music. They didn't, why would you go sit and listen to that, you know? And, and when I looked around and I wondered and I, I thought, the thing that hit me was, was that we've, 
built this whole culture around ourselves. That the, the whole church thing, the whole church thing is about church people. Church is for church people. And while that may not sound too weird, while that kind of sounds like it makes sense, does it make sense? Because church has clearly become for church people. I mean, we've had people leave the Orchard Church because they wanted certain songs or they wanted certain activities. They wanted certain things that my old church did that we've always done. I like it this way or that way. And, you know, we've kind of built this thing that it's about us. Now, listen to the words of Jesus. And he says, you are the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. You know, the the whole reason that he plants himself inside of us, the whole reason that the Holy Spirit fills us. We talked about just last week, the whole reason that he bubbles up inside us and flows through us into other people is so that we can show God to the world around us. But instead, for some reason, we've kind of built this thing that's all about us. And and rather than being a revealer of the glory of God, we've kind of become, let's face it, marginalized in our world. We've kind of developed our own culture that's sort of, for some reason, stuck with with tech. From the 19, you know, 30s, 40s, and 50s, in buildings from the 1900s, with songs from the 1700s, sitting in seats from the 1600s, you know, I mean, I don't know what it is, but for some reason, we've built this culture that's stuck in the distant past, while everyone around us continues to move forward. And as a result, it feels like, and I think you can look around, you can look in the news media, you can look around in our culture, it feels like we're losing more and more influence on a seemingly daily basis. We've marginalized ourselves, and our light seems to be getting dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. Because we struggle with this. We have our thing They have their thing. We know the way things ought to be. And their thing is kind of, you know, bad and getting worse. So we kind of tighten down on our thing. Their thing gets uglier and meaner and rougher. So we need to get tighter and tighter with our thing. And, and, And meanwhile, while we're getting tighter and tighter, the more you squeeze, the more stuff slips through your fingers sometimes. And it seems like we love our thing And we've lost touch with the world around us. And I just want to encourage you with this thought that this is not a new thing. This is not a LJ thing. This is not an America thing. This is not a 21st century thing. This is just a thing that we deal with, that believers have dealt with always. In fact, you can find this issue all the way back to the very first church. Yeah, They had this same kind of argument in Acts. If you'll remember, when Jesus came, did his ministry, 
was doing all of his teaching, died on the cross, rose again, continued to minister afterwards. He had a Jewish ministry. Everybody that heard Jesus was Jewish. Everybody that came to know Jesus at first was Jewish. All of his ministry happened in Israel with Jewish people. And so when the church began, remember when Peter uh, stood up on that day, the day of Pentecost, and he preached the big sermon and thousands of people came to know Christ. They were all Jewish. It was happening right there in Jerusalem. And so what was going on was all these people who were coming to know Christ, they saw Jesus as the fulfillment of the prophecy that God would one day pour out his spirit upon everybody. And it was the completion of the Jewish faith. It was really the answer to the promise that God had given Abraham all the way back in Genesis. And so they didn't see themselves starting a new religion at all. They just saw Judaism finally blossoming and becoming what it needed to be. That's the way they saw it. So the early church started out as a bunch of Jewish Christians, Jewish Christians, who had very particular understandings about what God's word was, who had very particular practices in the way that they did business and talked to each other and dealt with things. They had very particular eating practices, very particular worship practices. They observed the Sabbaths and everything like that. So, you know, they had very particular ways of doing things. They had their thing going on. But as you know, the gospel spread like wildfire and began going crazy everywhere. Early Christian missionaries began to go all out into other countries and spread the gospel to the Gentiles. And now there were Greeks and other people who were hearing the gospel and they were turning their lives over to Jesus and they were becoming Christians So they began to come into the church together with the Jewish people. Well, now, hold on a second. There's a problem. Because these new new Gentile Christians, they don't understand how to do the Sabbath. They don't understand all the Old Testament laws. They don't know. When we refer back to Abraham, they don't even know who that is. And so this is a problem. We've got our thing, and they're not part of the thing. And so this doesn't really work very well together. This, this is not translating. Of course, in their case, it was translating into the church, and it's not translating very well. And so there began to be this big fight. A lot of the Christians were going around. There was a lot of Christian leaders going around, and they were telling everybody, hey, 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 we're okay with Gentiles coming into the church. Gentiles ought to be able to come into the church, and we're very, very glad about that. But here's the thing. This is a Jewish thing, not a Gentile thing. So here's the way it's going to work. Uh, if you're a Gentile and you want to be a church member, if you want to be in our thing, you got to become the thing. You, you've, if you're going to be, be a Gentile, become a Christian, you have to first become Jewish. Right? You have to first become Jewish and you have to understand what it means to be Jewish and then you can become a Christian. Well, this was difficult. I mean, it was one thing for women... <laughs> to become Jewish. But for the men, it's a whole different thing that we're talking about here. I mean, for women, it involved, you know, confessions and prayers and understanding, but for men, it involved, you know, surgery. So this was a big deal. All the new members classes filled up with women, but all the men sat outside, right? And just waited. (laughs) 
right? This was a problem and it caused a lot of fights. There's a lot of fights going on in the church, the early church, because some were saying, this is our thing and you got to come into the thing to be part of the thing. And they made it difficult on the Gentiles who just wanted to surrender their lives to Jesus. And so there's this big meeting. Everybody got together with all the church leaders and the apostles and everybody. They all came together and they began to discuss what this really meant. Do Gentiles need to become Jewish before becoming Christian. And so everybody kind of aired out their side in this whole argument. If you look in Acts chapter 15, after everybody talks around the issue, James stands up. James is the brother of Jesus. This is the guy that grew up with Jesus. Okay, the brother of Jesus. Somebody said that there can't be no better, uh, there can be no better proof of the divinity of Jesus because what would it take for you to believe that your brother or your sister was really the Messiah? Huh? And so here we have James, the brother of Jesus, standing up, and he makes this big declaration. He quotes scripture. And he makes this big declaration, and and I'm going to read what he says really quickly out of Acts 15. I'm going to read one verse, Acts 15, 19. He says this, talking to all the Christians. He says, so it's my judgment that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles. And so what they did was they all got together and they, they said, okay. That's what we're going to do. We're we're going to open the doors. We're going to make it as easy as possible. We're going to let whoever wants to come in to the body of Christ come on in. We're going to welcome them with open arms. And so they they sat down and they wrote a letter to the churches and they sent it out basically saying, Hey man, if you're going to come into the church, all we ask of you, other than knowing Jesus, repenting from your sin, dying to yourself, all we're going to ask from you is you watch what you eat around the Jews. Be careful. (laughs) And and you watch about how you, you know, conduct your moral lives. That's it. We don't want to make it difficult. We're not going to ask you to jump through hoops. We're not going to ask you to learn strange languages. We're not going to ask you to come in here on our terms. We want the doors to be as wide open to the body of Christ as possible. For years, I was in church. It was difficult. It was difficult. Not for me, because I'd blended in from before I could even speak. But for people who are outsiders, for people who don't know Jesus, they would step into our church and not understand a word of what was going on. And so I would work hard at inviting, hey, come on in, man. You got to come to church with me. Hey, come on. Just come. Just come hang out. Just come listen. You'll, you'll love the music. And we had a big orchestra at the time, you know, at our church. And it was really cool. I had those big timpani drums. Boom, 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 boom. You know, it was really cool. We would sing How Great Thou Art on a Sunday morning. Dude loved the rendition of our church's How Great Thou Art because we had like a 40-piece orchestra. Huge orchestra. And they would always play it every week. Remember at Sherry? I saw her. Sherry at? I saw her. Remember when they would do How Great Thou Art at First Baptist of Orlando back in the day? Oh, I mean, it just rocked the whole place. And I would get goosebumps every time. But, dude, outsiders, they didn't know how great God was. They didn't understand all that. They didn't understand that there was a, there was a language barrier. There was a culture barrier. There's nothing wrong at all with what they were doing there and what we were doing. It was just a language barrier. 
And so the reason I get up every morning, the reason that we started the Orchard Church in 2009 is because, because we want to throw the doors open of the body of Christ to anyone that will come in. Jesus tells this parable about this wedding feast that this man is putting on. And, and he talks about how they worked so hard to prepare the big feast for everybody. And so the, the, the feast was prepared. All the stuff was in place. All the food was ready. Everything was ready to go. And so the, the guy sends out the invitations. Okay, go out and get all my friends who are supposed to be here and tell them it's time. But nobody showed up. Nobody came. And so he says, okay, fine. We're going to have a feast no matter who comes. So go back out there and you just get anybody that will come and we'll have a feast together. Anybody that will come have a feast together, throw the doors open because everyone is welcome. And that's what the orchard church is all about. It's about trying to strip away the layers of our Christian culture and just get back to Christ. Sure, we have our own culture here. It's, it's a little bit different. But, but one of the beautiful things we have is that we try to speak the language of 21st century Americans. You know, that's the reason we do little things that we do. Little things like, you know, I wear blue jeans on stage and an untucked shirt. It's not because I'm irreverent or I care about wearing a tie. Dude, if, if wearing a tie is going to help someone come to know Christ, I will wear a tie every day. I don't care about ties. I don't care if I wear it or not. Yeah, you know, that's why we have the band singing songs. I remember we, we would sing one type of song in church, but I would listen to a whole other set of music outside of church. And I realized that what was happening in my life was a real schizophrenia that I had to be one way at church with this type of music that I really didn't like. I never listened to it on the radio. Didn't buy any of those CDs, you know, none, none of that stuff, but I would go and I would worship with, with a whole different set of music outside of church. Why the schizophrenia? You know, that's why we have loved being portable and being in a school room because, you know, it's not as intimidating to a lot of people as, you know, a red brick and a steeple can be. I'm not knocking red bricks and steeples, man. They were great. They were great. But a lot of people in our post-Christian America are a little intimidated, are a little scared about that. You know, that's why we do little things like, you know, normally, not today, but normally we have all of our notes available online on the U version. You know, that's why we do children's ministry. Big thing. We do children's ministry at the level that we do it because we want to be able to show that we love kids and we'll take care of your kids. And if we can, if we can take care of your kids and teach them about the gospel of Christ, while we can have a chance to influence you, we'll take the chance to influence you for the sake of the gospel. That's why we do big things like um, worship here uh, on Sunday mornings. That's why we do big things like our apologetics class that John always leads. You know, we want to we want to be able to sit down and we want to wrestle with deep theological issues. We want to see if science 
and the Bible can line up and how they line up. We don't want to stick our head in the sand and say, well, here's what we're going to interpret and what we're going to believe. And we don't care what all the evidence says. We're, we're going to believe this, you know, something else. We don't want to do that. We want to say, hey, how does Scripture line up with what we observe around us? It's a huge thing. And there's probably not a bigger stumbling block to non-Christians than Christians who stick their head in the sand and say, well, I don't care what you can see all around you. I'm going to believe something that is of a very narrow interpretation that I can't really back up anywhere else. You know, wow. And we think God's beauty is fully revealed in nature. Scripture tells us that. That's why we do life groups. That's why we have life groups every week is because we really believe that Jesus has told us over and over again that the Christian walk is done best in community. He proved it to us by the way he did life and his disciples did life. And we see that all throughout the New Testament. We do life groups because we shoulder up with one another and we encourage each other. We uh, help spur each other along to doing good works. That's why we really value those groups so much more than just, you know, attending on a Sunday morning. That's why we want to be able to do youth ministry again. That's why we want to continue to be able to increase the scope of our ministry. We, we do this week in and week out because there is a lost, dying world all around us that doesn't get us. We have the only message of truth that the world needs to hear. And that is that Jesus loved them and died in their place. We have the message and we have the capability of communicating it in a language and on a level that anybody can understand. And that, I believe, is the most important thing, the most valuable thing that there is. Thank you, God, for giving us this wonderful gift of who we are and what we do. Thank you that we get to partner with you, God, in your mission of revealing yourself to this world. So here we are. And we've been doing this for over 230 Sundays this way. And we must take the next step. Because honestly, you look around... And there's some credibility that we lack in this community, right? Because, I mean, if there's one thing I've learned, I've learned that that there's a mentality on the part of a lot of people in our community, and I don't understand it fully, but but there's a mentality that, that somehow portable means not real, you know, portable means that we, we may just haul our trailers to another town next week and, and, and set up shop there instead of here in LJ, like we're some kind of traveling roadshow, you know, or something like that. And, and so, so there's a lot of people who have a barrier for being part of who we are and being part of what God's doing in us and through us. You know, there's, there's so much limitation that we have being portable because, you know, we're stuck doing children's ministry only on Sunday mornings. We don't have a room to put kids in outside of Sunday mornings. We don't have a room to do youth ministry in outside of Sunday mornings. We're so limited in our ability to reach into our community because we don't have a home base to reach from here in our community. We've got our little offices that we rent over there, but they're very, very small and not adequate to be able to do some of the big things that I believe God's calling us to do. So if we've been effective 
if the Orchard Church has been effective in your life at all, it's four and a half years. It's been effective to reach people for the sake of the gospel over the past four and a half years. What could happen if we finally made the step from being portable to permanent? Is it possible that we could, that we could really throw the doors open even wider? That we could have a much bigger springboard for reaching our community for Christ? Is it possible that for the first time that we could reach outside of Ella J? You know, the building that we're talking about uh, and that we're looking at and praying for uh, is right just a little bit south of town. It's just on the outskirts of Ella J. Is it possible that we might be able to take a step toward Jasper and reach into that community also? Is it possible that maybe, maybe just by gaining a permanent presence, we could gain some credibility in the hearts and minds of people in our community? So we got a big mountain ahead of us. And I believe that God's calling us to move from being portable to permanent. I believe that today, if, um, you know, there's just a few key people, a very few key people that if, uh, if we were all to just be taken up by God somehow and just removed from this world, I'm not sure that we'd be able to continue as a church, but I believe we should. And I think that the gravity of planting us up on that hill just outside of town, I think that would begin to just cement who we are and that we would really be taking a step toward maturity as a body of Christ. But we would not have to get into the whole, we're going to build a culture around us. We would be able to have a a place where we can have a foundation that we can stand on in order to do ministry reaching our community for the sake of the gospel. I believe we've got to take this next step. So I've got some resources for you, and I hope that you will pray with me and join with me in really seeking God on what this next step is. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of this. I know several of our groups have met together and we've talked several times about this next step. We've, we've gone up and looked at the building together. Uh, two weeks ago, our VIPs, the people that serve on our ministry teams week in and week out, we talked about it. We had a meeting and we just kind of took off the plan for the meeting and we just went on this and we said, let's talk about this. Could God want us to take the next step as a church? And they said resoundingly, absolutely, yes. We believe that God may just be moving us. So last week we had an open partners meeting and we actually met up there at that church facility and we prayed together up there and we talked together about what that could mean. And we said, what do you, do you think that God could be leading us to the next step in this maturity? And they said, absolutely we do. I feel like God is really moving among us. Is he moving in you? Cause he's sure moving in me, but we've got to take some big steps. And they're not easy steps. And so a lot of you guys uh, may not know all the steps that we've got to take. So I've got some resources for you. If you wouldn't mind, grab that sheet that you got when you came in, the blue one, the one with the picture of the building on it. Yeah, that my wife is holding up right there. It says really big on top, moving from portable to permanent. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to do a few things. Number one, this week, I'm going to ask you this week. This week to be praying in earnest. A lot of our group this week, this past week, have been praying and fasting for towards this moment. And I'm going to be asking you to be praying specifically about what to do and how to do it. 
As you look at that little sheet in front of you, there's a few resources that I'm providing for you uh, to help you in this process. Toward the bottom of that page, there's two different websites you can get. My website is my blog page, stevedusick.com. And on that little page, I've put six little bite-sized videos. There's six little videos. Uh, they're between a minute and a half and four minutes long. The longest one's four minutes. It's the first one. The rest of them are really, really short. And they just kind of answer six different questions. The first one, the long one, is about what is it we're really talking about here. And I got pictures from the building up there and the, and the facilities and kind of explain out what it all is. And, and then over the next five videos after that, I kind of answer all kinds of different questions that people have been asking. And so I'm going to ask you to get on that site, stevedusek.com, and look at those videos. Just look through them. Look through two or three of them today. Look through two or three of them tomorrow. You can look through all of them in just a few minutes. It, they're, they're all really short. And as you look through those, begin the process of praying. Also, uh, not only is that information there, but if you look also, you can see there's another website listed for you. And that's our church's website. That's orchardlj.com. And uh, I believe that God may be leading some of you to go ahead and, and to pledge to contribute toward this. See, here's the thing. This building, this facility up there, uh, I know some of you guys don't know about it, so I'm just going to tell you real quick. It's 7.6 acres of all buildable land right on Highway 515. Immediate access off of 515. It's seven-tenths of a mile south of the Walmart, and there's already three buildings on the process, fully functional church facility. And one of them, the big one, uh, has auditorium and children's ministry space and a kitchen. And I mean, it's just perfect for what we want to be able to do. And it's available to us immediately. And we had the chance to go ahead and step into a whole new scope of ministry. Our board of elders has been praying for this specifically, not this specific building, but for this type of thing from God for a year now. We've been praying for a year now. And here God has all but dropped it in our lap. And the long story short is that this property is worth a whole lot more then we're going to have to pay for it. We're going to be able to get in with a little cash in up front and a lease option to buy basically on the back end. And so more or less, after we get past the little, the little small amount of cash that we've got to come up with at first, we just have to kind of take over the payments. And, and they're really not out of range at all. And all those questions are answered in the videos. But we do have to come up with money and we have to come up with it fast. If we're going to take this next step, if we're going to continue to be the salt and the light and have the doors open for people to be able to come into the kingdom, making it not difficult for people in taking this next step, we've got to do it fast because the thing is on the market now and the seller is motivated. I had a meeting with him in my office just the other day. He is very, very motivated. We're going to have to move soon, very soon. We need to raise $90,000 in front-end cash in 90 days. That's what we got to do. Now, for our little church, I know that sounds like a lot. But my wife reminded me just this morning that when we bought our second of our two trailers, it was $75,000. And isn't that right, Seventy-five. The first one was seventy-five. One of the two of them was seventy-five. Okay. And we kind of threw it out there to everybody. And I mean, that came in like that, not because we're wealthy, not because we have a lot, but because God is good. 
And I believe that $90,000 to get into this building is incredible. I also know that um, there's another buyer, maybe more. I know that the property is being shown tomorrow to somebody else. And so we're not the only ones that they've got. So we're going to have to move pretty quickly, church. So as we pray together, I'm asking you if you'll pray about a sense of urgency on it and a sense of generosity, a sense of urgency and a sense of generosity, not urgency in the sense that, oh, we've got to do this before it gets away, but a sense of urgency in that people are dying and going to hell without knowing Jesus and not having a relationship with God. And maybe just maybe us taking this next step of ministry, this next step into maturity, maybe Maybe we can present them with the answer. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Uh, I got some guys that are going to kind of come down and they're going to hand you some cards really quickly. These are more or less pledge cards. And we're handing these out to you because we need you to help us be able to get to this $90,000 in 90 days. And so we're going to be asking for pledges because we can't, we can't make any promises to any sellers until we have at least really good, solid, good faith pledges in hand. Now, here's what I'm going to tell you to do. Nobody fill this card out. Nobody fill this card out because today we're not doing this. I just wanted to give this to you today because next Sunday we would like to get these back. And I don't want to, I don't want to stand here and manipulate you and tell you, okay, don't, you can't leave until you give us some kind of answer. You can't leave until you give us some kind of bottom line, what you can do uh, for the next 90 days. I want you to go home and pray with your family. I want you to go home and talk with the people that are important to you. And I want you to seek God. And I want you to hear what he wants you to do, not what Steve wants you to do. And so I would like you to take these cards home and just look at them. Look at the videos. Look at our website. And pray about how God would have you respond. And next Sunday, please bring these cards back and respond. I'll give you a little couple of uh, tips and tricks to help you. Uh, first of all, some of you already have something very specific on your heart. Because some of you, this is the third time we've talked about this. And so some of you already have something really, really specific and concrete in mind. Well, you don't have to wait till next week. You can get online right now if you want to and go to orchardlj.com and you can go to the page. You just click on the main page. It says moving from portable to permanent. And you can go there and you can do the online version of the pledge card right now if you want to. You can do it before you leave this morning with your phone or your tablet. You can do that right now or you can do it today or tomorrow if you'd like. If you don't think you're going to be here next week, you can do it between now and then at home or at work if you'd like to do that. And you can even go ahead and get on there and begin to give now. You don't have to just do a pledge. You can also directly just give money online towards us moving from portable to permanent. You can do it any time. So there's two buttons on there on that page. There's the pledge button and there's the give now button. And you can set yourself to give in two different ways. You can give a one-time gift or you can give a recurring gift four times over the next three months. And, and we show you in there how that all breaks down. So it's up to you and up to God how you want to respond. So I'm asking you, church, to surrender yourself to God. And I'm asking you, church, that we take the next step and we become a permanent fixture for good here in this community. 
and that we can be able to use that hill as it has been used to proclaim the gospel, the only answer that our community needs to hear. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to just ask that we pray together about this right now. John just walked out the back door, and I was hoping John was going to come down here and pray uh, with me at the front of the room. There he comes. Hey, John, come on. Come on down here. And I just want us to pray together right now and um, just see what God would want us to do about this. And, John, as you're coming down here, I'm going to ask us to do something uh, a little different. So once you get down here, I'm going to ask everybody to stand up with me. And uh, come on, everybody stand up. And I'd like you just to, to reach across the aisles and let's just join hands together. Everybody in the room, just join hands together. And uh, John, why don't you go over there on that side? I'll go over here on this side. And uh, that way we're all just holding hands together. And I'm going to have to hold someone's hand. Can we hold hands? Okay. And uh, church, this, this is going to be the biggest step we've ever taken. You know, we've, we've fed a lot of people. We've put clothes on kids. We've been in the schools. Um, we've been serving our community any way that we can. But this will be a huge, huge step for us. But it's not huge for God. So, Lord, we just give this step to you right now. Father, we don't want to hog it to ourselves. We don't want to point to ourselves. We don't want to be about building our own kingdom and defining our own culture. Father, we just want to be about you. And, Lord, we've seen you do incredible things here. I love watching the baptisms happen at the front of the room. I love being part of the seamless summer efforts that we do. I love being part of of all the things that we do to serve our community and to see you impact lives and, and change hearts. And, God, we don't want to see that in any way limited, but we want to see it expanded. We want to see it grow. We want to see you impact more people. And Lord, we want to become a permanent fixture in this community for your glory, Lord. And so, Father, we humbly submit ourselves to you. Lord, we want to be obedient and follow in your leading. Lord, our board has prayed, our our VIPs and our partners have prayed. And Father, we just believe that you're leading us in this particular direction. So, Lord, we... We don't have $90,000. But Father, you are much, much, much bigger than any amount of money. So Lord, we claim you first. And I ask that you do your will, your will alone in all this. Father, I pray that through all this that you will make us faithful. That you will use us in this world to be light and salt as Jesus has called us to be. Thank you for whatever next step you've called us to, Lord. We respond to you in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.